It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples were all together in one place. All together in one place. Do you think it's a coincidence that this is the day that we are allowed to meet together again in one place, along with thousands of other churches across the United States? Beloved, God is about to do something in the midst of his people. What, what times that we live in, what, 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 what agonizing times that we live in, viruses, another, another man of color heartlessly murdered by a police officer on camera, what, what times we live in, chaos, frenzy, confusion, and, and the world has one hope, though this world that we live in, that we, were, we are all deeply now aware of its brokenness, maybe more than ever before, has one hope, and the hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came to save sinners and to give them an eternal inheritance. And, and, and that way that that one hope gets delivered to the world, you could say that the way, the one life preserver that's going to get thrown to the world and that God is throwing to the world is His church. And His church that carries the message and the power of the Spirit. The Spirit that came on Pentecost. The Spirit that will renew us this Pentecost, this year. That's the one hope of the world. And so I pray that we all take these words today from the Scripture so seriously and we ponder and we ask the Lord, what do these mean for us in our own day to this lost and dying world full of riots and chaos and sickness and brokenness and sin? I love the Gospel passage. I love it. So let me say a little bit first about what Pentecost is. So 50 days ago was Easter. Isn't it crazy? We haven't been together in here. It's so weird to look out and see faces rather than just preaching to a camera. It's, it's weird in a good way. But it's been 50 days since Easter. So we have Easter, 50 days, and then Pentecost. Why is that? Well, what does Easter come from? It comes from the Jewish feast of Passover, when, when, Christ was sat, or when the lamb was sacrificed and God delivered his people out of Egypt. So you have Passover and the Christian, uh, the Christian Passover is Easter. And then, well, then you have this 50 days. Why is that? Well, you see, the Jews have a feast called Shavuot. And I had the privilege of celebrating some of the traditions this year on Friday this week with some friends, and it was awesome. But the reason Shavuot, it means the festival of weeks. It means weeks. And so it's an anticipation that leads up to the first. So there's an agricultural meaning and a spiritual meaning. And the agricultural meaning is that it's the first wheat harvest of the year. And so the Jews would come together on Shavuot or Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, and celebrate in Jerusalem the first wheat harvest. That was the agricultural meaning. So there's a harvest. Everybody say harvest or mumble harvest through your mask or whatever. And then, and then there's a spiritual meaning, and that is that it was the commemoration of the 50 days after the giving of the law, the Torah, at Mount Sinai to the Israelites, which was what? It was the beginning of the Israelites as God's covenant people. Okay, so there's a sort of twofold meaning. One is, has to do with a harvest and one has to do with a covenant. And so that's why we celebrate Pentecost because it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 50 days, more or less, after Easter when Christ was risen from the dead. You see the correlation there? Are you tracking with me? See, it's, it's, this is so cool because everything God does to and through Israel, in a sense, is sort of like a prophetic picture of what he's going to do in and through Christ in the church. It's really cool how this works in Scripture. This is why the Old Testament is so important, because it all points us towards, towards Jesus. So two things really happen on Pentecost. And one 
is that there's the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus was telling his disciples, John baptized with water, but he says in a few days, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're going to get the rest of the package, friends, because you're going to need it. Remember, we talked last week, if you were watching online, about being clothed with power, right? We, we try to do ministry without that. We are going to be naked and feel naked and not have what we need to, to carry the message of the gospel to the world. So the first thing that happens on Pentecost is that the disciples are filled with the fullness of God to reap a harvest of souls. There's a harvest. And the second thing is that the Holy Spirit writes as the prophets, many of the prophets foretold that one day the spirit would come upon God's people and fill the people themselves and write God's laws on their hearts so that they could be obedient from the heart, not just following the checklist of laws. And so that is the new covenant in Christ's blood. So you see the correlation. You have a harvest of wheat in the, in the commemoration of the covenant at Mount Sinai, now you have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that there will be a gleaning of the harvest of souls and you have the new covenant written in Christ's blood which is written on our heart, that we would be God's holy people set apart who love him and obey him and carry his good news to the world. Everybody tracking? All right, good. You have to nod your head because I can't see your, your facial expressions. See, this, there's something so important to think about uh, Pentecost because some people think about, we spend a lot of time talking about the cross and the death of Christ, the suffering and the resurrection and even the ascension. But you see, if we leave it there and then we think, well, the Pentecost thing, that's like the book of Acts, something else that happened. No, you see, this is all part of the gospel and God's perfect plan. Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is the consummation of Christ's work on the cross. Okay? It's not, it's not a disrespectful or sacrilegious to say that not e- the, the, the whole package wasn't even completed at the death of Christ, nor even at the resurrection, nor even at the ascension. It's completed when the Holy Spirit gets poured out on the church. Jesus shed his blood so that this could happen, so that, that we could have this gift of being baptized in his Holy Spirit and clothed with his power. He, he paid the price. He bears the wounds of it, uh, of your inheritance and my inheritance in the Holy Spirit. He bears the wounds of it to this day in heaven, in his hands and in his feet. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. So I'm excited. Let's look at Acts chapter 2. I said Pentecost is about, about two things, and I kind of want to reword that a little bit. One is, is that it's about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's about that we actually need to receive something from God, to have the boldness to share the message of Christ with the world that is, that is lost in sin and broken by death and sickness. The, the second thing is that it's a, Pentecost is about becoming a public witness for, for Christ. So everybody say public witness. I'll try to not make you say too many things today. I just think it helps us stay on track when we do that. So Pentecost is about being clothed with God's power and it's about becoming a public witness for, for the sake of the gospel. You see, you, you, can't, you cannot have one without the other. Okay, in Christianity, it's just not meant to be that there's one without the other. So there's a lot of people who, get, who do get very, very much excited about things like Pentecost and Holy Spirit revival and the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and prophesying all the spiritual gifts. They get very excited about that. And sometimes they stop there, though, and they get the gift from God and they're like, hallelujah, we just want to have this for the rest of our lives and go to the revival tent and, or whatever and go to the church and feel the glory of God and have a great experience in his presence. But it's possible to do that. And then actually fail to carry out what the purpose of that is, which is to give us power and strength to go out and proclaim and be bold witnesses. Okay. So now, on the other hand, you you likewise cannot go out and be a, a, an effective and bold witness for Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. 
to, to give you boldness to do it and, and, to, and to be at work in and through you to draw other people to Christ. Okay? People get drawn to Christ not, not, not because of me or because of you, but because the Holy Spirit's working in and through you to draw them. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father unless, and no one comes to me unless the Father draws them, right? So the Father draws people to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So you can't have one without the other. So if we're going to be a people in the church, and I believe that we are, we're going to be people who cry out for revival and for God to renew us and to, and to come upon us with His Holy Spirit and clothe us with power, we also have to say, Lord, we're willing to go out there when you do that because we'll be clothed with power to do it. See how, how it works? It's all part of the, it's all part of the deal. And you see this with the disciples, right? So, so many Christians today that, that haven't had a, had a, had a witness. And this isn't a word of, you know, it's not a spiritual spanking, but so many Christians have lived for many years as a Christian and never shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with anybody. Probably some of us in this room. It's, 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 it's fairly common. They don't, that Christians don't regularly tell people about Jesus. And the reason is not, not, not that, you know, my calling's not to be an evangelist. That, you know, that is a particular calling for some people. That's not the reason. The reason is that, that, that many Christians have not been immersed in the Holy Spirit yet and received the, the power that they have access to. That's really the real reason. So, if you, you see this actually in the life of the disciples in the Bible. So you watch how the disciples follow Jesus and they bumble along and he's very gracious with them. He's very compassionate. Anybody watch The Chosen yet? The series, The Chosen? Has anybody watched it? Please watch it if you haven't watched it. It is the best portrayal of, of the person and character of Jesus. It's, it's wonderful. So anyway, Jesus is very gracious. He's very patient with them. He continues to pick them up and, you know, dust them off when they fall and he, he continues to bring them along. But they're constantly failing him. They pretty much all abandon him at his crucifixion. There's no boldness for witness. There's none. I mean, they, they got a sort of a temporary power surge that he gave them to go out and to heal the sick and to cast out demons. But when it comes down to it, in the face of persecution and danger and suffering, they all abandon him and flee from him at his, at his arrest and his crucifixion. But then things change because of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit gets poured out. And now all of a sudden you see a shift in Scripture. The disciples are different people. They're, they are out boldly. I mean, Peter especially, right? I mean, he's especially... He's especially a bumbling idiot in the gospel. Can we just, I mean, he's portrayed intentionally that way because he's, he's weak. He has so many personal flaws. He's quick to speak. He's, he, he's always putting his foot in his mouth. Jesus is rebuking him all the time and trying to redirect him. But Peter is the first one to stand up on the day of Pentecost and he says, let it be heard. Let me tell you what's going on right now. And he does not care if he loses his life. Why? What's the difference? The baptism in the Holy Spirit. He was clothed with power. He had something that he did not have before, tangible, real, something that filled him, consumed him. And, and, and that is the, makes all of the difference in the world for whether or not we will be bold, faithful, regular witnesses of Jesus Christ in the world. Psalm 23. Everybody knows this psalm, right? It says, you prepare a table before me. You anoint my head oil my cup overflows you see our as christians of all people our cup even in the midst of craziness in in the world and even in our own lives our cup should be overflowing god wants to give us he's a shepherd who gives us an overflowing cup in the midst of disasters in the face of our enemies in the midst of brokenness our cup should be overflowing with the joy and the power of the holy spirit the love of the Holy Spirit. You see, God wants to fill your cup to overflowing today. He wants to fill my cup to overflowing today. But you see, you have to believe that. And so that's why we're going to keep diving into the, the scriptures here because it's going to help increase our faith that God wants to give us more than we came in through those red doors with this morning. Can you say amen?
You see, some, some of you might have thought, I would never be able to be the person who tells another, another person about Jesus. But I, I, I believe that some of you are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're actually going to do more than tell other people about Jesus. You're going to demonstrate his power to them. Because we just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Is the Bible true? Is it true? So 1 Corinthians 12 told us that everyone has a unique spiritual gift from God. And there was a list of them there. There was nine of them there. There's probably more than that. It wasn't an exhaustive list. But things like miracles, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation, discernment of spirits, the gift of... Uh, um, uh, what other ones are in there? Help me out here. A bunch of them, right? So everybody has a gift from the Holy Spirit. Now, my, my sort of theology about this is that um, at baptism... God put some seeds in you, the gifts, the charismata is what they are in Greek, the little grace gifts. And he put those in you. And when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, whether it's at your baptism or later in life, they bloom like flowers and they're activated. Okay. Um, many, many, many people would, uh, would testify to this. This is exactly what happened in my life and countless other people would testify to that. And I think that's a good theology that you get the Holy Spirit when you're baptized in water. But what happens in the Christian church and throughout history is the expectation lowered that anything would happen at a water baptism. Okay. Now some, 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 sometimes it does, but we kind of like, we'll sprinkle the water and, or dunk the person and Hey, yay, Christian. And that's great. That's great, but we don't have an expectation. And I think I read from Tertullian's second century writings last week in the sermon where he said, now what happened in the second century and in the first few generations of the church was they said, after you come up from the baptismal waters, get ready for the grace of God that's waiting to be poured out on you. And he said, now go join your brothers and sisters in the church and lift up your hands to heaven and say, Lord, pour out your charisms on me, your gifts. Okay, and then the, the, the prophecy would manifest and, and, and things like that. They would begin to have the gifts and be filled with the Spirit. Um, Brother Yun was a, um, he's a Chinese evangelist. He's, 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 he's older now, but he's, he's getting older now. But you may have heard of his book, The Heavenly Man, which is about uh, his, his life. And Brother Yun, there's a famous story, and I believe it is that he, he wanted a Bible so bad. He was in China in the underground church, and he wanted a Bible so bad, and it's very hard to get access in some places in China to a Bible. You know, it's a communist country. It's anti-God. It's anti-church. The church is persecuted there. And so he fasted for 100 days, and all he ate was a small bowl of rice every night. And he fasted for 100 days, crying out to God for a Bible. That's how hungry he was for his word. Average Christian owns four Bibles in the U.S., how many of them get read <laughs> is another story. But he was so hungry, so he fasted. One day, a knock at his door, a man showed up. He said, I feel like I'm supposed to give this to you and gives him a Bible. Okay, after a hundred days of fasting. Now, he tells the story about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm reading in the book of Acts, and I read this passage where it says, Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he said, I didn't really know anything about the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says in his, in his book. He says, I wasn't sure who the Holy Spirit was. I ran and asked my mother. His mother was a believer. She couldn't explain. She simply said, why don't you pray and ask God for the Holy Spirit, just like you prayed for your Bible? I prayed to the Lord. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I am willing to be your witness, he said. That's important. He said, after the prayer, God's spirit of joy fell upon me. A deep revelation of God's love and presence flooded my being. I'd never enjoyed singing before, but many new songs of worship flowed from my lips. They were words I had never learned before. Later, I wrote them down. These songs are still sung in the Chinese house churches to this day. Isn't that cool? You ever seen a video, a home video of a Chinese house church underground that will be in danger if they get caught? You ever seen the people worshiping? It's incredible. Their hearts are ripped open and they're just crying and weeping and crying out to the Lord and they're seeing miracles. And I mean, it's, it's incredible. 
because they don't take it for granted that they can meet together. It's dangerous. And of course, Brother Yun has gone on to lead countless, countless numbers of thousands of people to Jesus Christ and seen miracle after miracle and healing after healing and seen the power power of God. And he, I mean, he's come to the States and he's a really super sweet guy. He has to have a translator because he doesn't speak English. But he says, if you, America, you guys in the American church, you got no expectation for miracles. And he's like, we see it every single day in, in China because there's such a hunger and expectation for it. He's awesome. The Heavenly Man is a great book. You should read it. A little biography or autobiography of his life. So Acts chapter 2, a kind of little bit of rabbit trail, but I think we're, we're set up to dive into, say, say a few things about this passage. If you want to follow along, if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 2, or if you have the bulletin right in front of you. So here's what happens. We read last week, Jesus says, go and wait. And they were, remember, they were praying with eager expectation. That, remember the Greek word, if you were listening last week, proskartereo, with, with great uh, fervency and unfainting, they kept in prayer, the 120 disciples in the upper room. And now here's... Here's what happens as they're waiting. Jesus is always true to his promises. Amen. He will never lie. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, right, the the heavenly God's realm, there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Somebody once said, you know, we invite uh, the the Lord. It's kind of like when we invite the Holy Spirit into our midst, we say, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And he's like, you know, he shows up like a lion, right? It's like a violent wind that that comes into their midst. And it says divided tongues as of fire, right? It was an appearance. It was a sort of a vision, right? That rested on their heads and enabled them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, okay, at this moment, it's very clear what's happening. God is in the room. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Okay. So there, in this case, there's a couple different uh, forms or or manifestations of what speaking in tongues is in the Bible. But this one is uh, they're speaking in languages of which they don't know by, by nature. They're supernaturally empowered to speak in these languages. Why is that? Well, Gordon did a great job at reading off all of the names there. Did you feel bad for him when he was reading? Parthians, Ulamites, Fragilians, Pamphylians. You're, you were thinking, oh, I'm glad I'm not reading today. <laughs> but he did a great job. Because all of those people from different nations, Jews from the diaspora who were all out living everywhere in Jerusalem that day, and God wanted to empower his people for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be proclaimed to all of his people. See, because it's for everyone. Now, I've been reading a book about the gift of spiritual language or speaking in tongues. And there's so many misunderstandings about it. It's so sad how it's so misunderstood. But the author pointed out, he said, think about what a holy thing it is. This was what was on the Father's heart to do when he poured out his Holy Spirit was to give this gift to his disciples of, of, of praying in a language and proclaiming the gospel in a language they didn't even know. Speaking in tongues is dear to the Father's heart. It's a heavenly language that he gives gives to people. We'll talk about that when we get to 1 Corinthians 14 in another uh, sermon a little bit more. So they're proclaiming the gospel. And now here's, this is so funny. It says that the people around in, the, in Jerusalem heard the sound. So I think they heard the sound of the wind and then they heard the ruckus of the proclaiming of God's deeds of power, it said. They must have poured out in, into the street. Simon Ponsonby, Ponsonby is an Anglican minister. He said Pentecost is when a revival in the church pours out into the streets. Okay. So there's a revival in the church gathering, the prayer gathering, and it poured out into the streets as public witness. You see how these, th- how, how these things, this is how it works, filling of the Holy Spirit, public witness. 
So they pour out and the people are saying, they're bewildered, they're dumbfounded, they're like something powerful is happening. We can hear these Galileans because they got the Galilean accent. So we know they don't speak our language. They're from the backwoods in Galilee and they're all of a sudden speaking our language. This makes no sense. This could not be a natural phenomenon. And so people begin to believe on the name of Jesus because the disciples are proclaiming it. But listen to this accusation by the mockers and the scoffers. There's always mockers and scoffers when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they said, they're drunk. They have been hitting the sauce early this morning. And Peter says, no, 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 no. It's not St. Patrick's Day. They're not drunk. But you know, funny, they, it says they are filled with new wine, accusing them of that. And guess what? They're actually right. But they're not filled with the kind of wine they thought. It's the new wine of the Holy Spirit poured out from heaven. So now, now, now just think about this for a second, because I want to think about what it's like when the Holy Spirit really gets poured out into a place. Something was happening to make people think that the people that were filled with the Holy Spirit were drunk. So there was a holy joy There was an exuberance, maybe even a kind of a silliness about the way that they carried themselves because they were under the power of God. I have seen people who are drunk in the Holy Spirit and it's kind of goofy looking sometimes. But you know what? We dare not mock or scoff. Are there false uh, imitations of it? Yes. Unfortunately, yes. But we don't, we dare not mock or scoff at what might be the real work of the Holy Spirit because you see, here's a principle to think about as a church praying for, for, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Any outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it has to be judged, its, its genuineness has to be judged based on the fruit that it bears. You, you tracking with me? What are the results? If there's, a, if there's a church full of people and they're all kind of having a good old time and singing and praying and some of them are speaking in other languages they don't know and people are getting healed and all of that, some people might say, this is craziness. I just want to stick with my Bible and go and go to church and sing some hymns. Listen, you have to judge it by the fruit. There was in the early 1990s a very, very, uh, let's just say, massive and intense outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Toronto, Canada. In the early, or in the early 90s, there was a little vineyard church uh, called the Vineyard Airport Church in Toronto. And um, a man named Randy Clark went to speak there, and he was scheduled just to speak for three nights, and he ended up basically being there for the next, like, 12 years doing, doing meetings and things. And the Holy Spirit just fell on the people. And what, one of the, one of the things, and you can look this up your, yourself, one of the things that was well known about the Toronto, what's called the Toronto Blessing or the Father's Blessing, was holy laughter. It just was a thing there. One person would start laughing in the congregation uncontrollably and would start to spread like wildfire. It's really funny if you watch it. It'll make you giggle. <laughs> you might get a little bit of Holy Spirit laughter. But it's a thing, right? Holy laughter. And some people, and many people that were initially scoffing and mocking at it and saying, this is just crazy. This is like psychological, some weird psychological phenomenon. But many of those people actually changed their minds as they saw what happened to the people and how their lives were changed after that momentous event. Tens of thousands of churches have been planted around the nation by people who were touched by God there. I think something more like four million people ended up coming through there in the course of several years to that church because of what God was doing there. And lives have been changed. The gospel has been spread to the nations because of what God did in that event. And many people who were mocking, even Christians, and scoffing at it, changed their minds. And some of them changed their minds because they showed up to make fun of it and they got touched and started laughing too. That's pretty funny when God does that. So my point is this. My point is this. 
You judge an outpouring of the Holy Spirit based on the fruit. So we have this sort of group of disciples, a hundred and so of them. It'd be like kind of if these pews were filled today, about, about that many people. They're praying fervently. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And there's some kind of manifestation that's actually visible to the people around them. And they begin to proclaim the gospel as a public witness. And Peter's first sermon that he stands up, and we're going to just hear a little bit of it in just a minute, brings 3,000 people to Jesus. Okay? Crazy manifestation, mocking, scoffing, they're drunk, blah, 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 blah. 3,000 souls saved after one sermon. Okay? So that, that's just a little bit of a rabbit trail, but we, we always want to be cautious about if God's doing something and we think, oh, I don't know what that person over there is doing. They're slouching out of their chair. The glory of God might be falling on them. So celebrate God and say, more Lord. So Peter gives this sermon. And I want to say a few things about his quote from Joel chapter 2. You can see in your bulletin, I believe it's kind of marked out separately in the Acts reading. This is Peter. He's quoting. This is his response to the people who said, these guys are drunk. Um, Let me just make a quick announcement in the middle of the sermon. If if anybody starts feeling extremely uncomfortable or like having trouble breathing, please, we're not going to pounce on you if you need to take a little breather, okay? Just as a pastoral note. Um, So we don't want anybody passing out unless it's the Holy Spirit on them. So Peter, he, 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 he brings up a passage from the Old Testament. He says they're not drunk. Actually, that what's happening right now is something being fulfilled. A prophecy is being fulfilled. So Joel, the book, book of Joel, Bible scholars think it was probably written somewhere around the 6th century after the exile of Israel, B.C. Okay, so five to 600 years before what we are reading about here at, on Pentecost today, about five or 600 years. And Peter says, this is what the prophet Joel foretold. It's happening. So what is that? This is what Joel said. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So what, is the, what does it mean in the last days? Well, if this was happening in, you know, 1 AD or 30 or whatever it was, 33 AD, um, and Peter's saying in the last days, how, how is it? So that was the last days, but now we're like 2,000 years later. So what does that mean? It means we're still in the last days. So here's what I will say about the last days. In the Bible, in references like this, the last days basically means the time from when Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and poured out his spirit until the time when he comes back, which he hasn't yet. Okay? So that's the last days in the Bible. Okay? That's a little branch of theology called eschatology, studying the last days or the last things. We're in it. So we could call what we're in right now the age of the church or the age of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see interesting things in our lifetime. We really are. We already are, right? We already are starting to see some, see some really interesting things. And I think it's going, to get, um, it's going to get worse in some ways and it's going to get better in some other ways. Because the Bible says as the darkness begins to increase in the last days, so will the light and the power of the Spirit spreading the gospel throughout the nations. Amen? All right. So he says, this is what Joel said. I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The Holy Spirit disempowers racism. All flesh. Okay, the picture in heaven in Revelation is a people of every tribe, tongue, and nation praising the Lamb of God. The Spirit disempowers racism. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The Spirit disempowers sexism. 
Your sons and your daughters. The Holy Spirit wants to be poured out on men and women alike and is poured out on men and women alike equally. You don't get more Holy Spirit because you're a man. You don't get more Holy Spirit because you're a woman. The Spirit disempowers sexism. Now listen to this. Joel said, Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. The Holy Spirit poured out disempowers ageism. Okay? There will never be a church where we say, let's get all the young people and take over and get the old people out of here. That is nonsense. And churches that do that and try to drive people away because they want a younger demographic, the, the gospel is for all people of all ages and so is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to work through you whether you're 90 or 9. Amen? So we'll be a church that is that, that, that by the grace of God will be demographically diverse. Age, sex, and race. Now, He goes on and he says, I will show portents in the heaven above. This is God speaking through Joel, speaking through Peter. Okay, right? He says, I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Okay, now I used to think that that was all metaphorical and symbolic. And there are some ways in which it is. But this stuff has actually been happening because I've done, I've, I've looked into it. Let me tell, share something really interesting with you. You may have seen this if you, if you read any kind of independent news. This probably wasn't on like ABC or Fox or CNN or anything like that. So May 21st of just last Thursday, last Thursday last week, China's top political leaders convened for the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference. It's the leaders of the Communist Party, over 2,000 gathered. To, to set new policies and agendas for communist China. Only God knows what kind of godless, anti-Christ, anti-God, church-persecuting policies and agendas are being developed right now in China to make it worse for the Christians. If you don't believe me, read, read news about what's happening in China to the church. So the, this group of people are gathering, and I'm, this is not to demonize anybody, but it's to, to, to say, listen to what's, what's happening in the world. So they gathered... And this is from a, this is from a news article. When the CPPCC meeting began at 3 p.m. on Thursday afternoon, the Beijing sky was suddenly enveloped by darkness, turning completely black by around 3.45 p.m. as fierce lightning and thunderstruck, followed by torrential rain. Coincidence? Maybe there's a chance. But there are many, many videos of this online. You can look them up. Go on YouTube and look, look up Beijing Sky Turns Black. And the people, people are like freaking out. They're like, there's old people, elderly people who said, we've lived in Beijing all our lives and nothing like this has ever happened. I mean, it is black in the middle of the day. And there is fierce wind and rain and lightning. I mean, so, so you could write that off. But I'm just like, I, I, I saw that. And then I, it's like it, the timing of all of this. And then the Joel 2 thing and Acts. And it's like things are happening in the spiritual realm, in the heavenlies. Right? I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's a sort of a sign of the, of the wickedness that is increasing in the world. And I think we will see, and we need to be on our knees for our brothers and sisters in China, because I think we'll see increased oppression. It's already, it's already bad. And it will, and it will get worse. So, I don't think they're coincidence, coincidences. They're signs that we're moving into darker times, which means that actually the church is begin, gonna begin to grow in power. And it's, and it's being clothed with the power of the Spirit. And if, if there's ever a time, at least in my lifetime, in your lifetime, when it is all the more important to take this so reverently and seriously, it is now to seek the Lord, 
to seek the Lord's face, our, our Father, our loving Father who wants to give us more of His power to, to bring a rescue mission, rescue operation into the world where darkness is increasing. So then, then of course, you know, there's things, and I do want to acknowledge the killing of George Floyd. It was a tragedy. It was murder. I will say it from the pulpit. I, I, you know, I don't want to get into politics and whether or not it was race-related. I'm not going to make any speculations about that. But it's just a sign of, of the wickedness. Jesus says in the last days before the Son of Man returns, the love of many will grow cold because of lawlessness, right? Meaning many will fall away from him. Many of his followers or, or, or supposed followers will fall away from him because of lawlessness, and they'll be swayed by the world. So another reason to, to hold tight to the one who's the anchor for our soul, who loves us with, with, his, with his shed blood and wants to keep us close and fill us with his spirit. So here's the good and glorious news, and it's the last line of the passage. We're getting towards the end of the sermon. Don't worry. I know the masks are getting uncomfortable and warm, but it's important that we follow this through. Peter says, Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means to be rescued for, for all of eternity. Even if you lose your earthly body, you're saved. You're rescued. You're going to have a glorified body. You're going to go and be in the presence of the Lord. And then later in his sermon, Peter says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. He says, call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Right? This is God is about salvation. God is about life. He's about redeeming things. He's about healing things, restoring things. And so as we see the darkness of the world increasing, we, church, you and me, are going to be the bearers of light and the power and the love of God to the people around us. Amen? But to be effective, we, we need to be clothed with power. There's just, there's just no getting around it. Oh, let's hunger for that. Let's hunger for that. You see, baptism in the Spirit, whatever you, whatever you make of it, there, there is something more that God wants to, to clothe you with. He wants to clothe us with today. There's something more. I want to read something to you that just, it's just one of those, sometimes in the morning when I'm getting ready for church, I I'm praying early in the morning and, I'm, and, I'm, and I open a book or something and something is just like the Lord is just like this. And here's what I had this morning. This is from John G. Lake. He was around in the early 20th century. He was very well known for his gifts of healing. He was in, had ministry for five years in Spokane, Washington uh, in the early 20th century. And it was, there, was a hundred, there was more than 100,000 documented cases of supernatural healing. It was proclaimed in a certain in a local newspaper that Spokane was the healthiest city in the U.S. at that time. So he was a man of God, needless to say. But here's what he says. He's talking about Pentecost and baptism in the Spirit. He says, When Moses entered into the presence of God at the burning bush, God said, Take off your sandals, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. How much more so when the individual comes into the presence of God looking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and remembers that in order to obtain this gift, Jesus Christ lived in the world, bled on the cross, entered into the darkness of death and hell and the grave, grappled with and strangled that accursed power, came forth again and finally ascended to heaven in order to secure it for you and me. If there is anything under heaven that ought to command our reverence, our holy reverence, our reverence beyond anything else in the world, it surely is the subject of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Whew! That's Pentecost fire. Yeah? You see, Pentecost, it's a birth. It's the church's birthday. So this is, we're celebrating our birthday today. 
the birthday of our people, the birthday of the people of God. It's a birth of a people who know God personally, are so intimately acquainted with Him, saturated in His presence, filled up with His presence, and there's so much joy and power and love flowing through us that when other people come into our presence, they notice something is different about them. And it will either attract them or repel them. This is Christianity. This is what we're called to live. It's exciting. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm done with boring Christianity. Uh, the days of that are... We're at a pivotal turning point in history where the church has to surrender and yield to the glory of the Lord that he desires to pour out. Or it's just going to go back and survive for a while on, on programs and bagels and, you know, things like that. Skinny jeans, fog machines, and big screens. See, we're to be a people who share the good news that Jesus Christ died to save sinners, to redeem the enslaved, to, 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 to set captives free, to heal the sick, to love the unlovable, to save the unsavable. And, and Christians who do that, they recognize that, that pandemics break out because the world is broken by sin. They recognize that George Floyds are murdered because there are people who are untouched with the power of the gospel. They, they, they say to themselves, I can no longer look on passively and hope that some other Christian will share the good news with the person across from me. I have to get the power to do it myself. I have to get the power to do it myself. read you something that jumped off the page of a book to me the other day. The author said, Satan has effectively taken us off the battlefield by deceiving us into commemorating the power of Pentecost instead of utilizing it. What a way with words. Taken us off the battlefield. Let's get back in. Let's utilize it. Let's drink it. Jesus says, anybody who's thirsty, come to me and rivers of living water will flow from him. The Holy Spirit's a river not a lake he flows from us he flows from the heart of christ to us and to the world god gave his only son over over to death because he refused to withhold his love from you he refused to withhold salvation from you do you think that he would hesitate to pour out his spirit upon you There's a passage, this is the last thing I really want to say in the, in the, in the Bible, because this is important for us to, to meditate on as a church that wants to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit, where um, St. Paul is writing to a church and he says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means, the, that means right, to kind of pour water on a fire, or to stomp something out. That means, what, but here's what it looks like in a church. The Spirit begins to move in people's hearts. Something's shifting in here. Something's happening in my mind, in my heart. But I go, ah, I don't know. That's going to make me uncomfortable and vulnerable. Yeah. So I want to speak as an encouragement that, that we would be a people when the Holy Spirit begins to stir in our hearts. When He begins to stir in your heart as an individual. Don't, don't quench the fire. There's a, there's like a, treasure of joy and love and power coming when God begins to, to move in your heart. 
And sometimes it's physical sensations, or sometimes it's, you know, an increased heartbeat. You know it's the Lord. You know because you're just like, something's different <laughs> in the atmosphere around me. Let's be a people who don't, who don't quench the Holy Spirit. But if we feel the Spirit of God touching us, we just say, more, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. More of you, Lord. Lord, we want to be open. We want to be like your disciples. who are just, we're just obedient. They just, they just knew you were a man of your word, Jesus. They knew because they saw you on the cross and they knew you were a man of your word. And then you told them, go and wait. And I'm going to pour out the gift upon you. So Lord, we take you at your word. We take you at your word in, in this place today. And we want to, Lord, we just want to turn our hearts to you and worship now. And just ask, Lord, we just give you, give you this time, Lord. If you want to, if you want to mess up our, our bulletin and our schedule, Lord, we just, that it's you, God. This is your church. This is not my church. Lord, it's yours. So we just turn our hearts to you and worship now, Lord. We just say, come Holy Spirit. We, we wait, we wait upon you. We worship you, King Jesus. You're King of kings and Lord of lords, King of heaven and earth. And Lord, we want to be bearers of your light in the world. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. We turn our hearts to you and worship you.